Sunrift Adventures and Historic Travelers Rest South Carolina has been outfitting the foothills for over 37 years with the best boats, bikes, tents, and more. With great brands, Sunrift has you covered for every adventure. Stop into Sunrift Adventures' unique outdoor shop and say hello today. Go to sunrift.com for more information. That's sunrift.com. Nature's Edge is brought to you by the Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina, Western North Carolina's only magazine dedicated to the fishing enthusiast. Pick one up at over 400 locations throughout Western North Carolina or visit them online at theanglermagazine.com to find out more. And be sure to follow them on Facebook, Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina.com. Hey guys, Dale Stewart here. You have Nature's Edge on the radio. As many know, I've uh, I've traveled the world and and uh, I am drawn to precarious places that, that really have shifting boundaries nowadays between nature and the effects of our not so natural disasters that uh, that are caused not only by man but by uh, by climate and by nature herself and um, you know I've, I've witnessed and heard tales of cultural changes lives and, and homes lost uh, from from natural resources and uh, that are vanishing and uh, I believe we have a responsibility to address this climate crisis if you if you will and our guest today on nature's edge is one of the very best at addressing this, and she's also a good friend, Dana Ruggiero. And Dana, welcome to Nature's Edge, my friend. Thank you so much, Dale. I'm I'm so excited to be here with you. You know, we've known each other for a while. Yes, and and, uh, and done that. But but Dana, she's she's quite a lady. She's an award winning filmmaker. She's a storyteller. I guess you'd call yourself a storyteller, a listener, <laughs> and a storyteller. There you go. And uh, she's director of the Climate Listening Project. And her work has been selected by National Geographic to be featured as an open explorer uh, expedition. And in Women's Day magazine, uh, you were called an Earth Mother, I think. Yes. And, uh, and done that. <laughs> Let's just jump in there. Uh, give us a little of your background, Dana, a little where you're from and kind of what led you to this life that you lead today. Sure. I'm from New York originally, and I think I got the travel bug when I went as an exchange student to Ecuador when I was 17 and lived there for a few months. I I went to school to get my bachelor's in communications. I have a master's in applied science. And for the first 10 years of my career, I took animals on television to talk about conservation, sustainability, endangered species. And then I jumped behind the camera and I started filming. Um, and, I, and I first started filming conversations with thought leaders with Discovery Communications, traveled around California filming sustainable farmers and biodynamic wineries. Um, community gardens and food deserts and just sharing stories. And I started the Climate Listening Project in 2014 after working on the series Years of Living Dangerously about climate change and just was wondering what climate stories were in our communities. Yeah, tell us, uh, talk to the audience a little bit about the Climate Listening Project. I know that's a special thing for you. It is, and, and I'm starting the fifth year of it. I can't I can't believe it, honestly. I I I started the Climate Listening Project to connect hopeful conversations on climate and community through film, collaboration. I've done a photo series. I'm about to launch a new 
hand-drawn charcoal portrait series. So different multimedia, different mediums that we can use to share stories. Um, and I've created several different films, documentaries to short videos, vignettes. Um, I followed a wood thrush to Belize to connect stories of people who love this bird across borders. I filmed across America listening to women who are fighting against climate impacts in a culture of extraction with Mom's Clean Air Force. I I have shared farmer stories of farmers making the switch from conventional to sustainable agriculture, faith stories, stories of businesses and green building, so many stories now. Oh, I know. I I remember when you started this. In, in fact, uh, I don't know if you recall, we actually did a radio show, and I think you actually had cameras set up in there. We actually videotaped that. You are in my original trailer for the Climate Listening Project. I remember that now. I, I was just sitting here thinking about that, and I do remember that now. It's uh, it's come a long way. It has. Where, where can people learn more about the Climate Listening Project? ClimateListeningProject.org. And I also have a Facebook page. You yeah. can connect on Facebook at Climate Listening Project. And um, are, the, are the videos available that you've done? All the videos and films are available to watch for free online. I want everybody to have access to these stories and also to be able to show them in their own communities to help start or accelerate climate conversations. What really drove you or what drives you to, to deal with this? I I really love people. I love nature. I love all of the beings of our planet. And I think that with political divides and people of different backgrounds and economic backgrounds, political backgrounds, social backgrounds, with our inclusion climate, with you know our emotional climate, I think that there's so many aspects that impact how we adapt to climate change. And it's such an important issue. It is a climate crisis that we're in right now. Um, and so I wanted to be able to not only show the real stories of climate change impacts, but to show the real people that are working on solutions. These are not people that are traditionally environmentalists that I'm listening to. They're just regular people like you and me um, that are wanting to take action because of the impacts that they're already seeing. And so I'm inspired by these people. I wanted to listen to their stories and I want to share this through film and art so that others can listen as well. Yeah. You know, you and I both have a, have a real passion for people and their culture. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we've both done work on listening, really listening to sort of your everyday man and woman out there and, and, and sort of how they perceive what's going on in our environment and in nature. And it's, it's fascinating to listen to their stories, uh, not only from farmers, but just everyday mom and pop type operations are impacted. It is so true. Everybody now is seeing impacts. You know, when I started the Climate Listening Project, we're here in western North Carolina. Um, it was actually the rainiest, wettest year ever on record in history here. And then when I came back from one of my last tours... Uh, we were on fire. We were experiencing forest fires, wildfires like we had never seen before. And since then, 
we've had the next, you know, we have broken the record again for the wettest, rainiest year on record, but it wasn't over the course of the whole year. Like last time in 2013, this time it was because of Hurricane Florence, a storm like we had never seen before that dropped so much rain in such a short period of time. So I'm seeing impacts, you know, traveling to Montana where, um, you know, the pine beetle has devastated forests like you wouldn't even believe unless you've seen it. Um, down to Mexico Beach in Florida that has been completely flattened by Hurricane Michael. We are all seeing impacts and we all are having to share our stories with our neighbors, with our communities, so that we know we're not alone. Yeah, you know, I, uh, it's been about a year now, but I was in Greenland and uh, really got to experience what's happening there with the ice and and. Uh, it was pretty amazing because I, I had been there maybe five, six, seven years before, and I really beg- I really could see uh, what was happening both with the glacial ice and and with the ice around around the sea, and it was a pretty dramatic uh, uh, thing for me. And and I think you and I are fortunate in that that we talk about this stuff, but we also go out there and look for ourselves. We're not just yeah. taking other people's uh, uh, a words for that, and and. Uh, but uh, I, I agree with you, and I, I think our real passion is, is the people. It, it's, you know, uh, you're like me in a lot of ways in that you don't uh, preach air quality and water quality, although it's, it's part of our story, but it's the people. It's, it it's how they're impacted. Yeah, and I want people to know what they can do. I'm really excited that, you know, part of the series that I did um, with Women Across America, actually footage from that is going to be used in April on a PBS series nationwide hitting homes across America with this show called EcoSense for Living that will actually show people things they can do in their daily lives, solutions that they can take, ways that they can engage our government to take action as well. And it's it's something that each of us can do. And we can each find our own thing from how we deal with our trash to how we deal with and, and engage with our communities and our government to how we acknowledge the amazing species um, and wildlife that we are sharing this planet with. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it is so important that we do tell people what they can do because we get we get asked all the time well you tell us Dale don't do this or don't do that but how do we how do we do that and a lot of people think that just one person cannot make a difference but I disagree with that oh man I have seen some amazing stories you know one of the farmers that I listened to in Georgia Will Harris um, you know of White Oak Pastures It's so amazing to me. He had been from generations and generations of a sort of extractive farming and made the switch to sustainable agriculture. Not only has he changed the soil quality and the the land, the quality, the environment on his farm, but he has also revitalized an entire community. He has over 150 employees now. His whole community there in rural Georgia has been revitalized it's come back and when we see these kinds of individuals that are taking action and creating solutions that's what I, that's what really inspires me when when we know that one person can make a difference on any scale in our in our faith communities in our agricultural communities in our homes and businesses it really does make a difference and you don't have to step out and go join some, you know, join an environmental group, which is a good way to take action. You can do it right in the community that you're already engaged with. Absolutely. Um, and as we're talking about that, uh, what do you think the importance of, of 
cultural resi- resilience is? Oh, I think that's so important because each of us are so different. And I think that when you think about science, I just did a presentation at a university where I talked about science and how to communicate science with the general public. Um, you know, I showed this definition, this sort of Webster dif- dictionary de- definition of what science is. And it basically means, you know, the knowing. And that's that's not misunderstanding or ignorance. And I think oftentimes we think that maybe you know, the communities are, they don't know, they're, they're misunderstanding the science, they, they're ignorant to the facts or things like that. But in reality, everybody has some knowledge. They're, they're watching, they're seeing these impacts in their communities. We all have important stories to share and we can all kind of connect the dots together. And that's what creates the culture of how we, how we are engaging with each other and how we decide what stories we're going to pass down to the future. It's not only people in power that have that ability and right anymore to hold whose stories are passed down. We now all through social media and blogs and podcasts like this and amazing radio shows and and individuals getting out there and sharing their stories in their local communities. We all have our own stories that we can tell. And when I talk about climate change, I'm not talking about only changing our climate and the weather patterns that we're seeing. I'm talking about changing our political climate our cultural climate, our social climate, our inclusion climate, all of this is so interconnected. Absolutely it is. And, and I, I think it is so important uh, that people understand that, that they don't just get caught up in, in one issue of, of something. Uh, you know, when, when we had all the rain, people get caught up in, well, just the rain, or when we have heat waves, or when we have fires. People tend to just get caught up in those moments, and uh, that's that's not the that's not the story it's not the story and that's why you know i kind of have this slogan for the climate listening project i'm not trying to convince anyone that climate change is real i'm just showing the real stories of the real people that are impacted by climate change and the real people that are creating real solutions that's the culture that we want that's the story that we want to tell absolutely i i i agree with you as you know 100 percent. you mentioned the um the wood thrush project yeah about this little bird uh and and some work you did with it in film uh down in belize talk about that a little bit what that means it was an honor to partner with the national audubon society the international audubon alliances program the belize audubon society there was a study done by the smithsonian migratory bird center and uh they were able to find for the first time because of a little tiny backpack where the wood thrush migrated to and they actually put the backpack on in north carolina it flew to belize and they were able to see this when it got back and took the backpack off its entire migratory path and it actually flew back to the same exact location in north carolina where they put the backpack on um and so i went out and i filmed individuals in the migratory path that love this bird and here in north carolina and across the eastern coast people love this bird because of its beautiful song we don't see a lot of the wood thrush here in america but we hear it and every spring we wait for it but the reality is that its habitat is being depleted we're hearing less and less of this bird. And so in Belize, it goes there in the winter to eat and not to mate. So it's not making the beautiful songs that it's doing here, but they see it everywhere. So it's a very common bird every winter. And what they found is that by having birding programs, tourism programs where they're training bird guides to actually value the, the forest standing 
and and keeping the value of bringing people into the forest to see these beautiful birds and the beautiful nature that exists in Belize instead of going in and extracting and taking from nature or tearing it down. Same with agriculture. Leave the trees, plant more cacao, have a, instead of a monoculture, you've been to Belize, instead of a monoculture orange crop, which can be impacted by fungus, you know, having this amazing biodiversity um, over the cacao trees that need shade and having a thriving chocolate industry uh, also helps the bird there. So we listen to people on both sides and we listen to a lot of conservatives here in North Carolina um, that, you know, talk about planning native local food sources like spice bush and blueberries for the birds so when it returns it has something to eat um and these are people that you wouldn't expect you know like i said not environmentalists but just individuals that because of this special bird with these two vocal cords that they love to listen to every spring they want to protect this bird and so we we share those stories of all the people across borders that are connected because of their love for this bird and the people that are benefiting from keeping this bird alive and as climate change impacts our land and our air and our habitats and our world we don't know exactly what how it's going to impact these birds and they may need to travel a little more north or a little more south so we need to not only protect the forest is where they're going to now and that's why this, my, this study was so important, so we know where it's traveling to, but we need to also protect north of it, protect south of it, protect more land than we could possibly imagine. And these forests are our number one defense against climate change, so it's really important not only for the birds but for us. I, I agree, and, and as you know, um, uh, animal wildlife as a whole, they do transition. They, yeah. they, they do adapt. I mean, one, one thing about the natural world that, that I've – been involved with now for gosh nearly four decades is that they do adapt and they do move and so it's not just as you say it's not just protecting one little specific area because as that area does change the wildlife and their mig- migration patterns there are other things will also adapt and change uh as we go along with that so you're right it's important to to look at the look at the map with a much wider view than just that area that that we're doing that with um, one thing I do want to throw out real quick since we're on that, this is completely off, off the subject Ooh. we're talking about a little bit, but it reminded <laughs> me of something. <laughs> I want all of, everybody to be aware that coyotes right now yeah. are, th- this is their mating season. Oh yeah. February and March are their mating season and they're very aggressive right now and they're out and they're about. If you've got little dogs and little cats, Keep them inside. Stay with them because they, they, they are batting. And coyotes, just because you have a fence yard, coyote can jump a seven-foot fence. <laughs> I mean, they are amazing athletes. So I, I wanted to throw that out there for, for my uh, my animal friends uh, uh, just to look at that because coyotes, again, adapt, and um, urban settings do not mess, mess with them very much. What's next? I mean, for, I just want to respond to that. You know, you talked about adaptation and those, the coyotes, man, they have been so resilient. They, if there's a road, if there's a cleared path, they just like raccoons and just some of the amazing wildlife in the United States have been able to adapt so well. Um, and it's, and it's, it, it's oftentimes that individual family, that individual pack, that individual animal, um, just trying to make it. And so the, the more we can do to support our wildlife, that's so important for our ecosystems that we need, that we are a part of, you know, it's the better. 
Well, we got about what a minute or two left, uh, Forrest. Three we got minutes. A, yeah, I, I, looking at uh, looking at Forrest, our, our amazing producer, and uh, he's always giving me fingers. Thank you so much for everything, <laughs> Forrest. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to definitely be releasing my new portrait series soon. Um, I have an event coming up in Asheville with the amazing artist Shannon Boudot. Um, yeah. That's out of the McCullough Fellowship out of UNCA. We'll have an event in Asheville. We'll be sharing those portraits with everybody to see, as well as the stories behind them. Um, I also will have the PBS series showcasing some of my Climate Listening Project film work um, that will be on in April on PBS Nationwide. Check your local listings. And people can watch all of my films um, and, and see what's coming up. I have several new pieces that will be released as far as documentaries. Um, and that will be on climatelisteningproject.org. And you can also check out National Geographic Open Explorer for my most recent photo series that I did with the Environmental Paper Network featuring people from 15 countries around the world working together to protect forests. You also have a radio show. I do. Quick. <laughs> it's called Speaking of Travel, and it is um, it is with co-host Marilyn Ball. And Great do, lady. Oh, I love Marilyn. Yeah. We do um, every single month climate change stories, green travel experts, ecotourism tips. Um, and so every single month we have that on speakingoftravel.net backslash climate series. Can't wait to be on there. I know. You have to come on and join us, and we'll talk about all your travels and all yeah. your good work. Dana, it has been a real privilege to have you, my friend. Oh, my God. And we're getting ready, too, to launch the new Accelerating Appalachia program. That's right. I know, and you're we are connected <laughs> through that as well, so nature-based businesses, and that'll be a really exciting new opportunity for people who are working to protect nature to help accelerate their businesses. It's time to get Sarah Day back on. I know. Accelerating <laughs> And I just, I look forward to all the, you know, the collaborations we do in the future, Dale. Absolutely, my friend. I appreciate you more than you can imagine uh, with your work and what you do and, and being out there and, and, uh, and telling the stories. Thank you for all you do. I, I'm so grateful to people like you who listen. Thank you. You have listened to Nature's Edge, or you're listening to Nature's Edge. I'm still talking out there. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I will see you guys in a week, and I will also see you in the wild. Can't help wondering how it is that I'm still living. I had some wild friends. Visit naturesedgemedia.com. You can check out podcasts, videos, lecture archives from Dale, and much more. Thank you for listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, brought to you by Angler Magazine of Western North Carolina.